This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Malcolm the Third. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello, Hello. and uh, welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth McAlpin to James the Sixth. Do, how how do I sound? Uh, I think you're sounding okay at the moment because we have bought new microphones. Thank you, Rex Factor fans, all the Privy Council rather who donated. All the lovely people who've donated, uh, Privy Councillors and individual donations. Mm. Um, still coming uh, to terms with all of the technology, so if it doesn't sound quite 100% or if we forget to maintain appropriate levels and distance from yeah. microphone at times, uh, do bear with us, but hopefully... Long should, term. Should be good. Should yeah. be good. They're very, very nice. They're like really sexy ice creams. Yes, that was your uh, all interesting description of I'm them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll post a picture there. <laughs> anyway, uh, as well as new microphones, we've got a new monarch to review in the form yes. of Malcolm Third. Yeah. Scotland has been torn apart, really, between um, because there's been a lot of conflict between this system of alternating succession and primogeniture. Mm. So it's effectively had a dynastic conflict. So since the 1960s, almost all of the successions have been contested. Yeah. So as a result, almost every monarch has come to a violent end that we've reviewed thus far. It's been incredibly bloody. Now, Scotland um, at this time, the modern Scotland that we know today is still in the process of being formed. So the Kingdom of Alapa, as it was known at the time, Scotland, was centred around uh, Perth, or Schoon, mm. where they would get crowned, Dunkeld, and increasingly Edinburgh. But we've still got Vikings predominant in the north. Lovely stuff. Caithness, Sutherland, and then all the islands going round uh, Scotland. And we also have this separate kingdom of Strathclyde, Cumbria, mm. which is still just about existing as an independent body. Uh, historian Richard Orham's described this as the kingdom of the M74, because <laughs> it, it goes from Glasgow to Penrith, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and also we have the kingdom of Murray, um, and this is based, sort of, it's larger than Murray today, so it's kind of Aberdeenshire, um, Inverness, and Ross, that kind of area. Right. They've increasingly been asserting their sort of independence uh, in the last hundred years or so as well. But it nearly all came together in the last couple of episodes. It nearly all came uh, together with Malcolm II. Mm. So he has the combined force of the dynastic conflict and the geographical conflict. Mm. Um, so he wanted to get this primogeniture system in place so that his grandson, Duncan, will become king. Yeah. And to achieve this, he has to kill everybody <laughs> in the whole world. Kill everybody. Did we do that joke last <laughs> we time? We did. Okay. We did. Um, so he kills off all his rivals in his own family that he can get hold of. Incredible. And his rivals in Murray, who team up with his Scottish rivals. Yeah. And it does just about work. So Duncan does become king in 1034. Now, uh, Malcolm III, then, is the son of Duncan. Oh, okay, so it went well. 
Well, indeed. So he's born Malcolm III roughly 1031. Mm. As ever, the Scottish Chronicle is not too bothered yet about when people are actually born. So that means he's roughly in his sort of mid to late 20s when he becomes king in 1058. Oh, good. We might see some longevity. So he's the son of Duncan I and possibly his mother, a woman called Southern. Have we heard about her yet? Not really. She's um, thought to have been sister of uh, the powerful Earl of Northumbria called Seward. We don't know anything about her, but there is a potential name. I mean, that's something for those chronicles. Um, now, we don't have a contemporary description of Malcolm I. There are no portraits, no photographs. So, as ever, we rely upon the imagination ah. of the Heritage Playing Cards Limited... Uh, version of what he looks like. I thought you were going to go for that Crackers Chronicle, but okay, this is as good. Yeah. Um, what are you expecting? I'm expecting... What's his name? Malcolm, Malcolm III. III. Well, I mean, he's going to be armed, isn't he? He's a Malcolm. Um, young, blonde hair, tunic, obligatory Uggs. Right. Um, completely wrong there. I mean, I'd never, ever look at these. No. Um, <laughs> but each time... So he's got a he's got a massive purple, uh, what do you call that? A robe? No, cloak. A cloak. Yeah, purple tartan cloak. He's basically a Viking. If you imagine a Viking with a purple tartan ro- cloak on, mm. um, and it's a sword. So I was right there, but bearded, pointing, pointing left. As we look at him. As we look at him. So oh, I always I hate this. I get confused. <laughs> he's right. Yeah. But what's his nickname there? Sian Moore. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. Uh, Kianmore, or sort of um, Kanmore, right. as it's often known. So this um, is literally translated as Big Head. Um, I can see why they'd say that. Oh, Big Head. So he's sort of the uh, Brian Clough of uh, the <laughs> Scottish monarchy. Um, it, now, is that a metaphor, or is, does he physically have a big head? Well, there's some interpretations of this. So some people think maybe that's him as Big Chief, as yeah. in like a starter of a new dynasty, perhaps. Right. Uh, alternatively, it might have got mixed up with a future Malcolm, Malcolm the Fourth, because it's not actually a contemporary epithet. And Malcolm the Fourth, who Had comes later, uh, who possibly suffered from uh, Paget's disease. I was joking. Seriously, he had a big head. Yes, apparently he had a big head. <laughs> so possibly the chronicles got a bit mixed up, or later historians got mixed up with Malcolm the Third and Malcolm the Fourth. So it may not have been a reflection <laughs> on the size of this guy's head. That's. Totally weird. Brilliant. Well, oh, good rexing. Rex facting, rather. But the uh, the shoulders upwards does seem to have been of some interest because the Viking source, the Orkneying saga, <laughs> uh, described him as long neck. So he's got. He look. What's he got? He's like a lollipop. <laughs> a big floppy hair. <laughs> <and> <laughs> neck massive and massive lo- head. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, so Malcolm the Third, mm. his father Duncan became king in 1034. But as you were alluding to earlier, things didn't go very well. Mm. Um, he had a disastrous defeat trying to invade Durham. Then he was killed in battle by Macbeth in oh, 1040. Yeah. Yeah, so Macbeth good. became king. And then Duncan's father, Crenan, who is his powerful lay abbot of Dunkeld, he attempted an uprising, probably trying to get his grandson yeah. back on the throne. But he himself was killed in 1045, again by Macbeth. Um, so for Malcolm, at this point, he's very young. So if he hadn't already gone into exile in 1040, mm-hmm. when Duncan died, then he definitely would have done by the time his grandfather, Queen Anne, died in 1045. Okay. So Malcolm and his brother, Donald Bain, go into exile. Traditionally, the assumption has been that Malcolm went to Seward in Northumbria, Mm. because there may have been that family tie if the mother was the sister, etc. And his brother, Donald Bain, goes to the Hebrides. Okay. Possibly, you know, just 
rather than putting all your eggs in one basket. Kind oh, good of idea. Thing. Yeah. It's so like um, Prince Charles and Prince William never gone the same aeroplane. Exactly. Mm, eggs. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but traditionally, what people say is that in 1054, the Battle of Dunsinane Hill, with Seward's help, Malcolm defeats Macbeth and becomes king of Cumbria. Easy peasy. Cumberland, as it says. Yeah. So probably southern Scotland. And then 1057, he goes up that little bit further, yeah. kills Macbeth at Lumfannon. Okay. And but, oh. but, 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 this is where we have that confusion mm. about the order of events and where he comes from. Increasingly, historians are speculating that rather than having gone into exile in northern England, yeah. he actually went into exile with the Vikings, potentially in Orkney. With his brother? No, separate to his brother still, okay. so probably with um, a chap called Thorvin the Mighty. Right, good name. Who was Duncan's cousin. Oh, so yeah, 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 so he's got a place Another to Another family tie. Yeah. So in that interpretation, Malcolm comes south, possibly aided by the Vikings, because it's said by the Orkney Inga saga that he marries Thorvin's widow, Ingebjorg. That sounds pretty Norse. So you get a bit of an alliance there with the Vikings, get some troops, come down, yeah. takes out Macbeth, and he takes out Macbeth's stepson, Lulloch. Oh, yeah. So so, yeah, they, oh, that's right. They both died, didn't they? So in the space of, you know, less than a year... He's done rather well. He's taken out the two previous monarchs. Living up to his name. Okay, here we are. How old is he? So he's 25 now. Uh, 25, 26, yeah. 27, you know, sort of mid to late 20s. And impressively, given there's been all this conflict, all this toing and froing, mm. he's actually very, very stable and dominant in Scotland after this point. No one worries about all the death? Well, not really. I mean, maybe it's because Malcolm II killed so many people that by the time Malcolm III comes to the throne, there isn't really he's many people the actually up. left. Yeah. So the marriage with Ingeborg and the Vikings means that he's actually pretty secure in the north and the northwest. So the, he does suffer some kind of either rebellion or plot against him oh, here we from go. Murray. Yeah. And this is from Lulloch's son, a chap called uh, Miles Schnockter. No, Miles <laughs> Snecti. Miles oh. Schnockter. You don't want to book a hotel room with that name. Indeed. Um, Sierra. Echo. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, this is in about 1078. So, you know, it's quite a while. It's about 20 years after he comes to the throne. Right. And if it was a rebellion, then it's put down very effectively because Malcolm storms into Murray, captures lots of people, takes lots of plunder and cattle, and Malshockney runs off into exile. Oh, it's not dead, again. No, but he dies possibly as a monk right. a few years later. But still... That's the only rebellion he actually faces in Scotland. That's it. Brilliant. So he's secure with the North. He's secure mm. internally. Yeah. Everything's looking absolutely rosy. Well, why have we got so many notes there? Because there's one more border we haven't mentioned. Oh, and it's about that time, isn't it? It is exactly about that time. It's 1066 oh, and all that. Here we go. The English question. A bit of English context mm. of what's going on at this point. Um, Edward the Confessor is king. Yep. But he's rather old, mm. and he doesn't have any children. Mm. So there's a bit of a question mark as to the English succession. Nice for once that it's the English that have yeah, trouble true. here rather than the Scots. Um, he recalls a long-lost cousin, Edward the Exile, who turned up in Hungary. Right. Uh, this is um, Edward the Confessor who did that. Yeah, yep. but unfortunately the long-lost cousin dies pretty much as soon as he lands Why in England. Do that? However, he does have some children. But they're very young. So his one son, Edgar the Etheling, as he's known, yeah. is going to be a bit young and obviously he doesn't have any connections at court. So realistically, there are three men that might replace Edward the Confessor. Firstly, we've got Harold Godwinson, most powerful figure at court, pretty much running the show in the later years of Edward's reign. Two to one. Doesn't really have any actual claim as such, but mm. he's there. Okay, yeah. We've got William, Duke of Normandy. 
That's Bucky's favourite. He claims that Edward the Confessor promised him the throne. Yeah. And finally, Harold Hardrada. Outsider. Hardcore old school Viking. Yeah, worth worth a punt though with his with his background. His his claim is absolutely ridiculous, but nevertheless, he's decided he's going to do it. So, but once again, it's you can't you can't discount the Vikings. You cannot discount a Viking. Now, Malcolm mm. is one of the few people in uh, Western Europe, it seems, who doesn't have a uh, claim to the throne. Does he try it anyway? He doesn't try it, but he is. Um, he has got opportunity here. It's a great chance for him to try and gain some territory. Yeah. So if he wants to take over Cumbria, if he wants to try and uh, annex some of the northern part of Northumbria, mm. which is still a bit of a no-man's land, this area between Scotland and England, yeah, um, it's a great chance while they're distracted with all their wars going on. He's also got some good connections. After Seward dies in 1055, the new Earl of Northumbria is a man called Tostig. We met him, didn't we? Yeah, he's the brother of Harold Godwinson. Yeah. So he gets on with him quite well, and then in 1065, Tostig is exiled by his brother. And he initially, after a bit of a failed attack down south, goes and seeks refuge with Malcolm in Scotland. Mm. Now, Malcolm's stepson seemed to serve with Harold Hardrada, so it may actually be Malcolm that encouraged Tostig to go off, find Hardrada. And join him. And join them up and use him as a means of trying to right. kick off Harold. Yeah. So Malcolm's not entirely joined in. So he's, he's got dogs in the fight. Exactly. So what happens in 1066? Go on. A lot know. of stuff. First off, Hardrada and Tostig come to England in Yorkshire and defeat the Northern Earls at the Battle of Fulford. Yes. Often forgotten battle. Yeah. But it's very important because that means that Harold Godwinson in the south, waiting for William to invade, now has to go all the way up north, mm. marching at speed, mm. to deal with Hardrada. Yeah, massively important that, isn't it? Imagine mm. if he if th- they'd saved their invasion till after William's and he hadn't yeah. had to put that big march in. So Harold goes up, defeats them at the Battle of Stamford Bridge, mm. but in the meantime the weather has cleared and William, Duke of Normandy, has now landed in the south of England. Can you imagine? Sorry to keep interrupting, <laughs> but I just find this period so fascinating. And how, when he was given that news, yeah. when he's up in um, Stamford Bridge, he goes, God! <laughs> right, back you go. You've been furious. I thought everyone was against him. I, I really like him. Did Is we give him the Rex Factor? No, but we were tempted. Yeah. It's a bit like in Blackadder, that money episode in uh, Elizabeth, where every time he gets the money that he needs to pay off his debt, this guy from court comes in and says, Sir, you are needed. I'm <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. not making any friends here, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that messenger definitely got a punch or something. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, Harold runs all the way down back to south, mm. fights William in the epic Battle of Hastings. Harold is killed, the yeah. Saxons are defeated, and William becomes king. It's a knockout blow. Well, actually, initially, Edgar the Etheling, this sort of teenage uh. last royal male Saxon with a claim to the throne, mm. is declared king by the Wheatan. I don't remember that. But then William marches off to London with his army and says, seriously, come on. Yeah. And they say, yeah, yeah that's a good idea. So Edgar and the Wheatan submit, William is king. Yes, yes. So that's so that's settled. Although it took him a while to sort out the rebellions in the north, and meanwhile Malcolm's happy with this? Or? Ah, well, the rebellions in the north are absolutely key to uh, Malcolm ah, and the continuation okay. of this story. So in ten, well, 1068 there are some rebellions. Don't go very well, okay. put down quite easily. But 1069 is rather more serious. Sven Estridsen, or Sven II... Easier. King Viking King comes over with about 240 ships 
proper Good warriors. Yeah. He's ready to invade. That's about as much as Harold, um, William had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Edgar the Etheling leads an uprising in Yorkshire and they capture York and the castle that had uh, recently been built there. Right. And as news of this spreads, rebellions start popping up all over the country, down further south in England, on the borders with Wales. Mm. It's, it's a serious challenge uh, to William the Conqueror and the Norman Conquest. Yeah. So William, of course, goes on an epic campaign all across the country, fights over winter, goes over the Pennines, puts out the rebellion in Yorkshire, pays off Sven with the last Dane girls and just says, just take the money and go. Seriously. So the much last fighting ever here. Dane girls? Uh, I think so, though right. I might be assuming that and oh. could be proved wrong. Email in if I am. <laughs> um, so Sven goes off home. Right. And bit by bit, William puts down the rebellions. However, Edgar the Etheling is a very persistent <laughs> chap. He's, he's determined yeah. to get his birthright back. Yeah. So he meets up Malcolm III. Oh, trouble's brewing. Now, Malcolm, as you said, hasn't been getting involved in this point, but in 1068... His hand is forced a little bit when Edgar came to him and sought refuge. So after those first rebellions failed, Malcolm shelters Edgar and the Saxons. Edgar the Etheling. The Etheling yeah. In 1070, Malcolm is on the move. What, uh, down south? Down south, and he leads uh, a big raid into Northumbria. Yeah, I love a, a healthy raid. Fill, mm. the, fill the coffers. And then he meets Edgar at Wearmouth. As, as an ally. As an ally. Yeah. Now, it's probably at this point that Edgar has to admit that, unfortunately, Sven's gone home. Yeah. And Malcolm isn't so keen to invade England without this massive Viking army with them. Yeah, I can't believe that was that threat was just paid off and gone. That's yeah. brilliant. So Malcolm decides, this isn't really worth bothering with. I'm heading home. Mm. He offers Edgar the chance to come back with him to seek shelter in Scotland. But Edgar's like, no, I'm off out of here, fed up, takes his family, gets on a boat, sails off. Never to be heard of him again. Well, that was what he was planning. But unfortunately for Edgar, it doesn't quite go according to plan because there's a massive storm. Oh, dear. And the boat gets swept back and is shipwrecked in Scotland. Ah, fate. So he, well, indeed, is it fate or is it all part of God's plan? Mm. Because Malcolm goes to meet Edgar and with Edgar is his mother, Agatha, and his two sisters, Margaret and Christina. That's, I didn't know that was such an old name. Hmm. And Malcolm sees Margaret, falls in madly in love with her. Oh, no. And marries her. Oh, no. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Now, um, Margaret, uh, Margaret of Wessex, as she's sometimes known, is a huge figure in Scottish history. Very, very important. Saint Margaret, as she comes to oh, be right. known, gets sanctified. And um, other than the odd mention we've had, like Susan or... Gruok. Mm. This is effectively the first woman in Scottish history, <laughs> as right. far as we know. Oh, other than that incredible murderess of uh, yeah. the statue, etc. Vanilla. This is actually a definite historical person for whom we have got lots of recorded activity. Margaret. Margaret. Okay. So uh, she was born roughly 1045, grew up at court in Hungary, because mm. she was exiled with her father and family. Hard, it? It's a long way away. Well, it's a long way away, and it's only recently become Christianized. Yeah. But as a result, it's an incredibly pious court. Yeah. So she's very pious herself. She's very in touch with all the sort of current religious practices in Europe. Um, they come over to England. So she grows up then at Edward the Confessor's court. Mm. Follows her brother Edgar around for a while while he's trying to get some kind of rebellion together mm. to steal the throne back from William. Yeah. And then she is delivered by Providence, as the Chronicle is right, mm. to Malcolm. 
but he's not getting anything out of this. I mean, I hate to be cold, but that's the whole point, isn't oh, it? He's, 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 he's this hard warrior who finds his beautiful, cultured oh, woman. I mean, yeah, it's a lovely story, but his, I mean, his advisors must be going, she's like the sister of a nobody. <laughs> What's going on? Margaret wasn't actually that keen on it, and in fact she tried to say no. <laughs> right. Um, she wanted, because she wanted to become a nun, because she was very, very pious. Ultimately, they really don't have much choice, because Malcolm's pretty much all they've got at this point. He's, ba- if he wanted, he's basically got them captive. Yeah, so, yeah, if he wants. So they agree, and they become married, Malcolm okay. and Margaret. And um, she plays a very important role in Scotland. Um, a very active figure, makes reforms at court. So she shelters various other Anglo-Saxon exiles that seek refuge in Scotland, makes changes in terms of luxury items and court etiquette. And she also does a lot in the Scottish church, so she promotes greater conformity with Rome and the Continental Church and all these sorts of practices. Right. And they seem to have actually had quite a nice relationship. Aww. They do seem to have genuinely uh, cared for each other. Malcolm was said to have been illiterate, mm-hmm. and um, you know, is essentially just you know an old school He's a, he's a proper king. king yeah. um, but he treasured her favourite books, apparently, all her sort of religious books. Um, and he sometimes would have them embellished with like gold and gems and then <laughs> present sweet. them to Like her. one of those birds of paradise in Deepest Darkest <laughs> yeah. Borneo or something. He doesn't really understand what he's doing, but he makes it pretty. <laughs> exactly. Oh, sweet. And then Margaret's biographer, um, a uh, prior called Turgot, or Turgo, uh, oh. related this lovely story where um, Margaret used to give things to the poor. Mm. So she sometimes just takes stuff just to you know, give it to them. Occasionally she took something that belonged to the king to give to a destitute man, a pious robbery, which he always took altogether willingly and gladly. Because he delighted very much in such theft, he sometimes seized her hand with the coin and brought her to me for judgment, saying in jest that she was a thief. <laughs> well, I mean, she is. Well, yes. That's awful. It reminds me of um, a certain Edward. I was thinking, yes, yeah. and his little games he used to yeah. play. Now... If we want to be cynical, mm. and you are saying, what on earth does he get out of this? Yeah. There is a political dimension to all of this, of course. Right. Edgar the Etheling is unmarried at this point, doesn't yeah. have any children. Christina becomes a nun. Any children that Malcolm and Margaret have are going to be the heirs, the Saxon heirs to England. Oh, it's really putting them on a collision course, isn't it? So Malcolm's children, basically, with Margaret, have got a very good claim to the English throne. So if ever they're able to get back, then Malcolm's... Sons, yeah, kings Rule of England. the entire island. Exactly. However, as you said, that does put him on something of a collision course mm. with William the Conqueror and mm. the Normans in England. Big Willie. He's also, of course, sheltering Edgar the Etheling, yes. who is the current heir. Yeah. And um, as if marrying Margaret wasn't enough, they were slightly pointed in the names that they gave their children. Oh no, not not sort of Edward. I hate William. Saxon. Well, Edward was indeed the first name. Really? They went for Edward, Edmund, Ethelred, Edgar. Oh, wow. That's If there ever there was a pointed... <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And what's more, of course, in 1070, Malcolm was raiding in Northumbria, in territory that Mal- uh, William would feel was he kind of his, his area. Yeah. So William now decides he's got to do something about Malcolm. Quite right. So in 1072, he launches this huge campaign by land and by sea. Mm goes deep into Scotland and decides he wants to take William out, uh, take Malcolm out in a big old battle. He's invading Scotland? He's invading Scotland. 
So when there was all this hoo-ha about Edward I not finishing off Scotland, yeah. William didn't do either. Well, what happened here was that Malcolm isn't stupid and he sees his massive uh, Norman army with all its cavalry and he just basically doesn't want to, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. want to fight Fair this enough. suicidal battle. So instead, they come to terms yeah. at Abernethy in 1072. Um, Malcolm agrees to get rid of Edgar, send mm. him off mm. into exile, um, and gives his eldest son by Ingebjorg, a chap called Duncan, as hostage. In return for which, William provides Malcolm with vills in England, so I terri- uh, uh, sort of lands or estates, if he ever visits court in England, though, where he can stay. And he'll get rent and money and that. From yeah. So, all's nice and lovely. Good. In 1079, however, William's busy in Normandy with a rebellion from his eldest son, Robert. Mm. So, Malcolm thinks, aha, he's not in oh town anymore. yeah. Off I go on a raid. Oh, that's not sensible, Malk. So he raids Northumbria again. Three-week raid, which uh, goes so badly that the uh, Bishop of Durham, who's also the Earl of Northumbria, a chap called Walker, is murdered. Not by Malcolm, but by Northumbrians, who are just fed up with this and think, look, you're not looking after our interests here. By their own people, his own people. Well, I mean, he's a Norman, of course. Oh, of course, yeah. So when William has sorted his... uh, got peace with Robert, Mm. he sends Robert over off to Scotland with an army to put Malcolm in his place. Right, that sounds heavy. So Malcolm obviously doesn't really want to fight that battle, so they come to terms at Falkirk. <laughs> we don't know exactly what they agree, probably about the same as 1072 with yeah. William the Conqueror. Though uh, it is at this point that Robert decides to build a new castle in Northumbria, mm-hmm. which he gave a very imaginative name, see if you can guess it. Uh, uh, Robertland. Newcastle. Oh, of course. I was actually think, trying to think of a, a <laughs> castle that I was up there. Yeah. I couldn't think of one, so uh, yeah. Oh, wow. So Newcastle is, in effect, built as a, with a view to uh, yeah. the threat of Malcolm. And then it seems to go pretty well for the rest of William the Conqueror's reign. So when William the Conqueror dies in 1087, we've not had any more problems. Mm. So William the Conqueror is then replaced by... William Rufus. Oh, I love this man. By the holy face of Luca. <laughs> yes. This is what happens next. <laughs> Look at those shoes. Um, and it all starts very lovely, in fact. Uh, a lovely start, because Rufus isn't the eldest son, so he's got to deal with mm. Robert. He's yep. a bit annoyed that he's had his throne taken from him. So initially, uh, they got on quite well. William releases uh, Malcolm's eldest son, Duncan, okay. who'd been hostage since 1072. Right. So oh, after 15 great. years, yeah. he, he goes wow. back. However, 1091... Mm. Rufus um, reneges on his deal about the English villes, the estates that are kept for Malcolm. So while Rufus is in Normandy, Malcolm does what he does and besieges Newcastle. Well, that means so at least it's it's not unprovoked this time. Not unprovoked. Mm. Um, Rufus returns with an army, storms up in hot pursuit, but he is persuaded to uh, come to peace by his brother Robert and Edgar the Etheling. What? That's weird. Because Edgar the Etheling and Robert seem to have become BFFs really? at this point. Yeah. You could not. I thought he had to have his guts for garters in the first instance. Well, I think just because Robert, you know, he doesn't get to be king of England, even though he's the eldest. Oh, Edgar yeah. the Etheling hasn't got to become king, yeah. even though he's next in line. So I guess they've got common sympathy of yeah, being of these denied their birthrights and not really being winners in yeah. life. That's very odd. I would have thought both of those people would have been well up for a battle between those two because wh- one of them's got to die yeah that's true that's true have their claim mm. but they're more peaceful than i am perhaps more peaceful or perhaps not quite as uh, ruthlessly uh, strategic <laughs> i'm all about the battliness <laughs> um now in 1092 yeah 
Rufus once again withholds the English estates from Malcolm. Why, though? Well, he's pushing him. He's needling him. He wants. Oh, he's trying to get a bit as well. Lovely. He also builds a castle at Carlisle. Oh, yeah. And then settles the surrounding area. Mm. Now, it seems that Malcolm considers this to be his territory. So possibly in 1070, he annexes some of it. Possibly in 1066, when no one was looking, he kind of <laughs> snuck in, <laughs> put his flag there. Yoink. Yeah. Uh, so Malcolm really isn't very happy about this at all. So in 1093, they agree to meet at Gloucester for another peace deal. Yeah. But when Malcolm gets there, Rufus refuses to see him. Right. And he says, look, if you've got a problem, then you need to go down to the English court and put it, put it to the barons there. And he's got to come all this way. Come all this way, and that is what you would be forced to do if you were a mere baron, a mere noble in England. So he's treating uh, right. uh, Malcolm as if he's just one of his mm. own nobles rather yeah. than a proper king. Malcolm is not happy about this at all. No. So he heads up back in a huff, gets an army together, comes down south and besieges Anik. He's got one response this <laughs> one, hasn't <laughs> yes, he? And exactly. Rufus knows it. <laughs> but unfortunately on this occasion, his luck runs out. Arrow in the eye? Not an arrow in the eye as far as we know. He is ambushed at Anik and he is killed. And not only is Malcolm killed, but his eldest son by Margaret, Edward, is also killed. Edward I hate William. Edward I hate William. And then when uh, another one of their sons goes back and tells Margaret about this, she's so distraught and also weakened by years and years of fasting that she dies. Oh. So in the space of a week, the king, the queen, and probably the heir have all died. A expl- vacuum. Big old vacuum. Good grief. And it all was so settled in the first it's All so years. settled. And instead of one of Malcolm's sons succeeding, it's his brother, oh, Donald Bain, who storms again. back oh. from exile, yeah. takes the throne. He didn't quite kill enough of his family, did he? I, you know, I honestly thought we'd have, we're starting to see some sort of su- succession also because you said building some sort of di- um, dynasty at the mm. start. And I thought, oh, spoiler, but... Oh well. Interestingly, uh, that's not the end of their story. Malcolm is initially bari- uh, buried in uh, Tynemouth, or Tynemouth, probably Priory, mm. but they're both later reinterred and done firmly in Abbey in 1250 when Margaret is canonised. Now then, in 1560, Mary, Queen of Scots, Whoa, removes, right, well, we've 15, yeah, right. removes Margaret's head <laughs> and takes it to Edinburgh Castle, where she hopes it will act as an aid to childbirth. She's good at removing heads, isn't she? On oh, no, a burning, she loved a burning. No, that's Mary of England. Ah, Mary Queen of Queen Scots, Scots lost her own lost head. Lost her own head. That's yeah. right. I knew that was something to do with the head. And she got a spare. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Um, it, that, and later, the head is then moved to France, but it gets lost during the French Revolution. Huh? Really? So we don't know where Margaret's head ended up. Hey, wow, how weird. Philip of uh, the Second of Spain. Yeah. Then removes some of the other remains of Margaret and Malcolm to the Escorial in Madrid. What what's he doing with them? I really don't know. I haven't found this out. But either way, they get lost as well. They they are careless bone relic hunters. These so for some are. reason, Malcolm and Margaret's bones get scattered across Europe for no apparent reason. How weird! But that is it for the life and reign of Malcolm the Third and Margaret, first a proper sort of queen consort, powerful woman, That's queen great. consort saint. Yeah, she's got a hell of a story, I imagine. Indeed. Yeah. And we'll have a little bit more to come from her, and of course more to come from Malcolm, when we review him. Battleliness! To kill two predecessors. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that's precedented in Scottish or indeed English history. So this is the first double regicide. 
Yeah, I mean, he might not have the figures of Malcolm II, mm. but he's um, got more sh- um, sort of goals per game, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. So that's pretty good going. And he's been very effective in terms of his dominance within Scotland. Mm. In Murray, 1078, mm. according to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Malcolm captured the mother of Mal Schnachter, all his best men and all his treasures and his livestock. So that's his mother, i.e. the Dowager Queen, as you could say. So that's Lollop's widow. Oh, right, widow. so he captured his mum, yeah. his, his shiny things, and all his cows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so what's he got left? Yeah, well Nothing not at all. Anything. So that must have been a pretty major expedition to have done all of this. He must have gone really quite far into the heart of Murray. Yeah. And although it does pop up again in a later reign, it doesn't bother Malcolm again. Right. So he snuffed that out. And as you say, other than, you know, we've had a 100 years of dynastic conflict, but... He's secure. That's the only... It may not even have been a rebellion. It may just have been a plot, and he just storms in and deals with it. Yeah, and there's just no one left. Now, Malcolm's foreign policy. Yeah, we haven't... Re- other than sort of being a bit of an irritant to... <laughs> yes. There isn't, we haven't really touched that yet. So, Northumbria and Cumbria are really what it's all about, because Cumbria and or Strathclyde, it's not always clear whether or not they're the same kingdom or separate. It may even be now that they separate. Right. But they're both in this kind of no-man's land. So Cumbria is kind of its own thing, but not really. Mm. Northumbria is part of England, but where does it stop? Mm. Where does Scotland begin? Right. Again, it's not very clear. Okay. So we can't really read into what the Chronicles say so easily. Yeah, and Malcolm II and Duncan I both had tried to annex Durham. So that's effectively the old kingdom of Benicia, which is like the north bit of Northumbria. Yeah. So for Malcolm, he's really trying to push his borders further south. And 1066 gives him that opportunity that while everything's in flux, he's got an opportunity to take a bit more land. Yeah, perfect. You'd be fool to miss it, but he just didn't know who he was dealing with. Exactly. So first off, Strathclyde stroke Cumbria. Um, it's suggested that they've had a certain amount of dominance of this territory in previous reigns. Mm. But it's probably even in the 1050s that some kind of kingdom is still going. Mm. Now, either in 1066, Malcolm just pops over and yoink, mine now. Sorts that out. But if not by then, then in 1070, the Chronicle of Carlisle relates, Malcolm, the King of Scotland, seized Cumbria in his own right. So implying that that it was a separate kingdom and job done. Hence why he was so annoyed when Rufus builds a castle and starts settling. Yeah. In Carlisle. Right. Now, it may be that it's at this point that we get that separation of Strathclyde and of Cumbria. Mm. So maybe what we now think of as Cumbria effectively starts becoming England. And that's the bit that Rufus settles. The Lake District bit. Yeah. And then the northern bit, which is what we now think of Scotland, is maybe yeah. what Malcolm's taking control of. Right. But they're still very much that in makes flux sense. trying yeah. to get that dominance of this area. And then there's Northumbria, where he makes five raids between 1061 and 1093, um, four of which were fairly successful. Mm. Obviously the fifth, uh, less so. So uh, 1061, the Chronicle of Melrose relates, Eldred, the Archbishop of York, set out for Rome along with Tostig, the Earl of Northumbria. Meanwhile, Malcolm fiercely harried the Earldom of Tostig, the Peace of St Cuthbert being violated in the Holy Island. I thought he was mates with Tostig. He was, but to be honest, as long as somebody's turned their back, Malcolm is going to yeah. go on a bit of a raid. <laughs> it's what he does. Right. Um, so there's 1061. Then in 1070, the Chronicle of Carlisle again. He devastated Teesdale and Cleveland and Hexham District and Northumbria with slaughter detestable to the whole world. 
and with fire. <laughs> okay, so his his main foreign policy is it's going to annoy him a bit when they're not looking. when they're not looking <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He always seems to duck out again. Well, it's one of those funny things with this sort of period in history, and as we will then see for the next couple of hundred years, you don't get a lot of all-out battles because they're very risky, yeah. as 1066 showed. Mm. So what they tend to do more is just kind of storm in, kick the place up a bit, mess yeah. things up, burn everything, kill everybody, and then be like, look, I did a lot of damage there, so if you don't want me to do that again, maybe you should follow me rather than that guy because he yeah. obviously can't protect you. Yeah. So it's okay. more shock and awe rather than hearts and minds. Okay. Later on, we have 1079, just another three weeks plundering away. They're almost like holidays. Exactly. Just the three weeks in Northumbria in the Lake District. Sounds yeah. lovely. And this was so bad that the locals then killed their bishop. That's a strange reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we've got to do something. Kill the bishop! <laughs> Good idea. Uh, and then finally, of course, 1091, again, when Rufus wasn't there. And then Rufus came back and he's like, oh, I'll be on my way. <laughs> But he survives for the most part. Yeah. It's a lot of raids over many decades, and he's a constant thorn in their sides, but he always just manages to get out before things yeah. turn nasty. And then just make, somehow gets a plea bargain with them. And exactly. So he's, you know, he's doing pretty well there. Mm. Mm. It's a bit. It's not. I suppose, as you said, it's, not, it's the way for the next hundred years, but it's, it doesn't feel quite satisfying enough, does it? You've got some good diplomacy as well. Right. If we look at it in this point of view, the marriage to Inga Bjork, which was the Viking link That's that helped him better. take the throne yeah. and secured those links. How did he have two wives? Well, we don't know exactly when she died, though there's something in Durham in the sort of Libar Vitalis in 1058 for prayers being said to Anne Inga Bjork. So she possibly dies very early on in his reign. Um, he develops those good relations with Tostig. Yep. So of Northumbria, and he's got a link to Hardrada. So if 1066 works out that way, he's got it sorted. Yeah. Equally, if they die, he hasn't actually got directly involved. And he can say to William, anyway, I was, I was having a go on his veg patch. Then he sees an opportunity with Edgar and the yes. Saxons, so he brings him in, marries Margaret, which enhances his own status. And another key thing there is that Margaret's family, the Wessex, royal dynasty has very strong relations to Durham mm. and the cult of St Cuthbert and Durham of course is heart of Northumbria where Malcolm is trying to extend his influence yeah and this does seem to have been working out so 1093 the chronicle of Melrose a new church was begun at Durham William the bishop and Malcolm king of the Scots and prior Turgo placing the first stones in its foundation Durham so this is new church as in Durham Cathedral. But Durham itself had been founded by the other fellows. The city has been founded already. Yeah, okay. But the foundation's laying ceremony for Durham Cathedral, With the Malcolm. only lay person there is Malcolm, King of Scots. Wow. Okay. So they have this going on because Malcolm thinks, well, if I've got the bishops on hand, that really helps me to be seen as the you know, the king of this place in yeah. effect if they're with me. And for the monks they think, well, they've got sort of estates further north in what is really Malcolm's territory. So they think, oh, well, this means that we still keep hold of that. Yeah. So they wrote that they were going to be saying prayers every day for the rest of the life of Malcolm and of Margaret. That's very canny, though, isn't it? Mm. Rest of the life, even if it's a day. Well, unfortunately, of course, he goes from there to Annick, where he is, of course, killed. <laughs> so it doesn't last very long. But that does show, actually, that that linked to Margaret, the all these sort of mm. alliances and marriages he's doing, they, it was actually starting to pay some dividends. Maybe if he hadn't been killed, lasted another 10 years, mm. he could have seen that, you know, Durham maybe would have been more inclined towards him 
yeah. and towards Sudastasi. So creeping down the other side. Whatever he lost on the left, yeah. he's making up on, on the right. Exactly. Hmm. But there are some drawbacks. Mm. As you said, he is a little bit on the cautious side. Mm. 1066, you know, if he'd absolutely thrown his hat into the ring, Scottish army alongside the Vikings and Tostig, maybe yeah. that would have swung it in favour of Hardrada. He doesn't seem to have really gone for Northumbria in this period, perhaps because he was waiting to see what the outcome is, but maybe if he just got in there when it's all confusion and chaos, he might have actually yeah, taken more uh, territory. It's definitely a good tactic, isn't it? If William's worried about controlling the all of England... Mm. If he's not going to miss the 100 miles further north, if yeah. you just say, it's just not worth it, we've come this far. And likewise, when the rebellions are going on 1068, 1069, you know, it's not until 1070 that Malcolm really does something himself. If yeah. he got involved a year earlier and you've got all these uprisings and the Scots are yeah. on the march, yeah. that might have encouraged the Danes to land and fight rather than seek a deal with William. And like you said, his raids are never really a proper conquest. They're just... Yeah, they're a bit sort of... Needling and needling, yeah, they're little mosquito bites. Oh, mm. But on the other hand, is he sensible? He knows that the Norman army is much bigger than his, and mm. the cavalry is much more advanced. He can't really take them on in open warfare. No, but he just didn't take advantage when he could have mm. fully. Mm. The other wi- thing we have, of course, is that he does make rather a habit of having to submit to the Vic- uh, to the Normans, yeah. which never looks good. Uh, in 1072, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates. In this year, King William led a ship force and a land army to Scotland, and he himself with his land army went in over the Forth, and King Malcolm came and made peace with King William, and gave hostages, and was his man, and then he went home with all his army. <laughs> and then he went home. <laughs> it's like a child's book. And Chronicle of, Kings of the Dukes of Normandy said, The King of Scotland dared not resist, and had neither strength nor power to do otherwise than to make peace at his pleasure. And then he had lunch. <laughs> it just feels a bit weedy. I mean, mm. it's definitely the best course of action <laughs> yeah. trying to take them on. But don't do the raids in the first place. It's only going to end one way with him saying, oh, I'm really sorry. Mm. And then going off and promising not to do it again. And doing it again just shows bad character as well. There was the Chronicle of the Dukes of Normandy with a rather wry tone mm. noted. Scotland was always subject to England in such a manner that they had no sooner obtained power over it then the Scots forgot the agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And the Normans have made their own advances at Malcolm's expense. So Newcastle, okay, it shows that Malcolm's a threat that they built it, mm. but that is quite a lot further north than the Normans have been before, that they've got this Newcastle. Yeah. So that's not great for Malcolm. They've come closer. They're pretty poor, yeah. And then Rufus has built Carlisle Castle and settled the area, so that's again taken some of that back, which Malcolm rather wanted for himself. And the only thing on the other side of that is that he's been... He laid a foundation stone in Durham, like he was mm. trying to push a bit, but ultimately ended with castles on the, as we say in Rex, on the <laughs> left <laughs> with Carlisle and the right with Newcastle. Yeah. He's getting surrounded, really. And it does seem that if maybe Malcolm kind of playing a game with William the Conqueror and maybe not exactly getting the best of him, but certainly William probably would feel that he hadn't dealt with Malcolm very effectively by the end. Rufus, yeah. on the other hand, seems to have been playing a much more effective game, needling Malcolm pushing Playing into his own action game. and then yeah. eventually Malcolm reacts and gets himself killed. Yeah. So Rufus probably got the better of him. Now, he does of course die at Annick, and that's a pretty disastrous uh, yeah. way to go with him, his son and his <laughs> wife dying afterwards. That's epic amount of death there. And uh, John of Forden, our oh, old uh, yes. tabloid friendly Here we go. Uh, gives us a little insight as to what happened. And Come on Johnny! This might be another contender for a horrible, horrible history style stupid death. Brilliant. 
So we've got this is the Saxons shored up in Annick Castle being besieged. Yeah. The Saxons? Uh, well, yeah, the Northumbrians. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Those who had been shut in held a council and brought to bear a novel device of treachery. <laughs> One warily approached the king's army and courteously asked where the king was. But when they questioned him as to the motive of his inquiries, he said that he would betray the castle to the king. And as a proof of his good faith, he carried on his lance in the sight of all the keys thereof, which he was going to hand over. On hearing this, the king, who knew no guile, incautiously sprang out of his tent unarmed and came unawares upon the traitor. The latter, who had looked for this opportunity, being armed himself, ran the unarmed king through and hastily plunged into the cover of a neighbouring wood. He got away? He got away. No way! I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Were they even the keys to the castle? Uh, oh, I don't know. I, mean, I that, bet they that, weren't. That, that would have been pretty ballsy if they were. <laughs> yeah, I've got this, this is an all or nothing for <laughs> the dice here, guys. It could go one of two ways. I think that double regicide set it up well that I was thinking it was going to be good. But mm. kind of, I feel it kind of went downhill from that. If it didn't go downhill, it sort of stayed level. I was expecting great things. Mm. And he just did a bit of needling, needling and ended up with some castles on his border. But... Um, there was, I, and I think that double regicide and the stability, I thought was going to count towards this this factor, but actually mm. it's perhaps a bit more for subjectivity that mm. there's stability. But as far as battliness goes, it's not so strong, is it? Mm. I don't feel I can go beyond a four. No, probably even less than a four. I think three, and most of that is for is for just getting the crown in the first place. I'm giving him a five and a half because I mean he's as I said he's taken the crown by killing not one but two monarchs. Mm. He has all of these raids. He possibly does take a bit of uh, Strathclyde, let's call it, yeah. away from the Normans. And other than Anik, right at the end, we're not seeing him constantly being defeated. We're just seeing, you know, raids which are annoying but not massively, you know, achieving yeah. anything. So I mean, you know, it's not. I don't know if you can say that he's doing. A bad job it's as such. Stable. He's just not doing anything. Yeah, epic. Actually, that's fair. I mean, why why do we demand this of our mm. monarchs? He's actually doing all right, wasn't he? He's 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 not having lots of raids into Scotland. No. Or when he does, he just makes peace and sends the Normans backing. But it's just not great. Mm. I'll give him four, two for each king mm. that he kills, and the rest I'd expect. So that's a nine and a half for battliness. Scandal. Well, I mean, we're not to harp on about this, mm. but he is a double regicide man. Yeah, that's He's killed good. two kings. I didn't give him a ding, but, you know, that is quite a ding. Well, if you want to add to his ding, um, with Macbeth, there is a suggestion that he may have colluded with Lullock. His father was actually killed by Macbeth. And Malcolm's yeah. father, Duncan, was killed by Macbeth. So some have suggested that maybe Lullock comes to the throne by working together mm. with Malcolm, sets up an ambush, Malcolm kills Macbeth. We did touch on that, didn't mm. we? Yeah. So maybe that's a little bit of a sly murder rather than yeah. just a simply running in and yeah. chancing it. And it's then said that Lullock was killed by treachery. So if Malcolm had been working with Lullock to take out Macbeth, he then turns on Lullock says, oh, why don't we have another meeting to have a little chat about this, and then kills Lullock. It makes sense. So yeah. it's, you know, it's a little bit more to it that perhaps is a little bit more scandally. He is quite deviously 
taking out his enemies. That is quite, that is, I mean, that all adds up, doesn't it? And mm. I can't believe Lilac didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, yeah. But, but it would... Lilac the simple. Yeah, it would make sense. It mm. all, it's all there. So if he had had more people to take out, you can imagine that he probably... Oh, he would have done. He probably would have done. Grief, yeah. Very much his grandfather's mm. grandson. He loves a bit. Mm. <laughs> and uh, we also have, I mean, this is pushing it a little bit, slightly saucy marriages. Oh, hello. Now we're talking. Well, I mean, this is only very slightly, but Thorfinn the Mighty, so he marries Thorfinn the Mighty's widow, Ingeborg. Oh, right. Thorfinn the Mighty, I think, is his first cousin. So his first cousin's widow. First cousin's widow. And then Margaret had been definitely wanting to become a nun. Yeah. So true. he hasn't quite seduced <laughs> a nun. But I wish you could see Graham's face here. He's trying to imply so much without actually saying... If it's I mean, I think after Edgar, that's as close as we're going to get. Yeah, there's there's a few rattles in that in that mm. wardrobe, isn't there? Yeah. Closet. Is it skeletons in the wardrobe? Closet. Closet. That's the one. I like that, Graham. Mm. I like it a lot. I'm going to go for full stop. I'm going to go four. Four. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm going to go four as well. It's not. It's say it's not epic. No stuff. But it's nice. But we haven't seen anything like that for a while. Yeah, exactly. No, actually, no. I mean, I'll give them a five. I think it's sort of middling. Mm. About enough middling. So put that together. That is a nine for scandal. Mm, it's consistent. Subjectivity. So mm. first up, we've got internal peace and stability in Scotland. Yeah. Apart from uh, that rebellion, which may not even have been as much as a rebellion in Murray, which mm. he deals with very effectively, that's that's it. There's no other chronicled discontent or uprisings or and anything. He's very good. And you think after sort of a century of constant, almost sort of civil war and fighting, mm. suddenly we've got decades of peace and stability internally. Oh, it's fabulous. It's very good. And as you said, we've got that good border with the Vikings because of his first marriage. Um, we've also got Scotland starting to emerge a bit from the ha- Dark Ages. Uh, the border is a bit more clearly defined. We've got that relationship with England that's a bit more familiar. Mm-hmm. And we've also got an awful lot of stuff done by St. Margaret. Oh, here she comes. Um, now, her, we know a lot about her because her chaplain, Turgo, also becomes her biographer. Um, heavily biased, probably intended to, as I said, uh, pre- present a case for sainthood. But it's the reforms that we're most interested in. First up, the church. Okay. Uh, so she thinks that the Gaelic church is rather at odds with how things are done in the Roman church and uh, in the continent in Europe. So she tries to bring them into line. So we've got things like the Scots not fasting for 40 days at Easter. And this is because she's from Hungary. Hungary yeah. and vegetable pious. Uh, neglecting to take sacraments at Easter. Marrying your stepmother or brother's widow. Yeah, that's to be found upon. Yeah, and Malcolm would have gone... <laughs> First Spine. cousin, it's not the same thing, is it? <laughs> Um, and she actually, actually holds councils with church leaders, so bishops and priors, to convince them of the need to make the change. Very unusual for a woman to be playing this role in yeah. doctrinal. I mean, and the first one we hear about as well, maybe because she's, yeah. uh, we hear about it because she did it. But uh, She establishes a new Benedictine monastery in Dunfermline, and to do so she actually wrote to the Archbishop of Canterbury, Lanfranc, uh, Norman Archbishop. Anne Frank? Lan. Oh. Lan Frank. Right. Okay. One word. Um, who and uh, successfully requested three monks from Canterbury. <laughs> she wanted some monks from there just to set it up. Yeah, and she got them. Okay. Uh, St Andrews in Fife, she installs ferries on either side of the Forth to give free access to pilgrims wanting to visit uh, St Andrews Church. So the towns on either side of the Forth are named after her North and South Queen's Ferry. 
Do they still exist? Well, yes, they do. And I think it might have been in the news recently because the uh, the road bridge, oh, collapsed, of course, is uh, closed yeah. for the indefinite future. So, yeah, these towns still very much... Dependent on old Maggie. Yes, yeah, so they need to get that ferry up wow. going again. Wow. Mm. But she also does a lot of secular stuff at court. Mm. Um, so Turgo relates, she had caused merchants to come by land and sea from various regions and to bring very many precious wares that were still unknown there. So she's increasing trade, is that what you think? More trade and merchants, lots of luxury items. Weirdly, because she's so spiritual, and yet she also really believes that she and Malcolm and important people at court should wear really lavish stuff full of bling so that they look good. So she's making everything look very cultured and lots of finery coming in. So it's a more cultured court, uh, more etiquette, all of this sort of stuff, more manners and taste and... Mm things like this. Um, she does lots of good deeds, serving orphans and the poor every day before eating. During Lent and Advent, Malcolm and Margaret apparently wash the feet of six paupers. Oh, right. Which is nice. She also nicks stuff, of course, doesn't she? She nicks stuff. She also brings in Saxons and shelters them at court. Yeah. Gives them quite prominent positions. So that's quite an important change in Scotland. We've got this English well, it's influence sort of coming it in. It feels like the first sign of any of that we've had yet well in terms of subjectivity all yeah. we've really had before was well they were king for quite a good while that's all right yeah whereas actually and although really i mean it is margaret doing this well it? that is the big criticism that actually we've got malcolm who's just this barbarian uh, barbarian barbarian celtic warrior yeah enraptured by his cultured english queen but his reign is only considered to be momentous largely because of all the stuff that she's doing yeah she's she's the boss here however yeah. This is a bit unfair on, Mar- uh, on old Malcolm. Right. It's impossible to conceive of um, all this stuff going on. Church reforms, Saxons at court, all this stuff coming in. There's no way this can happen without Malcolm, A, being okay with it, but also he has to actually do so some of this stuff to make it happen. Sign the documents. Yeah, exactly. It can't just be Margaret does it and he just shrugs his shoulders. He's perfectly capable of... It does feel like that, though, it. and then he goes away on his little <laughs> three-week holidays... To the Lake District raiding. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. do what you like, love. I'm off to the lakes. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and Turgo, when speaking about the religious councils, and in fact tells us about the role that Malcolm has to play in all of this. Mm. In this conflict, the king himself continued as her chief helper, most ready to say and to do whatever she bade in this affair. And since he knew the tongue of the Angles perfectly as well as his own, he was in this council a most careful interpreter for both sides. Because Margaret can't speak... Scots, mm. can't speak Gaelic, mm. and she never learns. So Malcolm has to actually translate all of the stuff that she's barracking the uh, bishops oh with. Oh, right. He translates for her, so he interprets. Right, okay. So Malcolm did have a bit of something about him. He does have to do a bit of something, yeah. So mm. he is actually getting involved. He's you know, doing mm. all this stuff as well. It can't happen in isolation from Malcolm. It's a partnership. Yeah. And also yeah. it can't happen without his strong leadership and dominance and internal security mm. as well, of course. Mm. So it's a partnership. Okay. Working together. It's a William and Mary job. Exactly. Um, but there are other things that we might criticise. Anglicisation. In what way? Well, she was from Hungary, though. Well, originally from Hungary, but she then went to Edward, the confessor's court, and she is ultimately Saxon. Yeah. And she Saxon exiles come from England to Scotland and the Scottish court. Yeah. She brings them in, probably not loads of them, but she gives them quite prominent roles at court. Mm. So there's maybe a sense that you know the Gaelic aspects, like the Gaelic church, oh, all these yeah. sorts of things, new stuff coming in at court, she never learns the language. It's almost like you're trying to sideline the old Scottish stuff. And of course we have all of Malcolm's sons with Margaret, you know, he called Edward and 
yeah. Edgar and all these names. And apart from Malcolm the Fourth that we mentioned, mm. and and Donald Bain, that slight interruption in terms of the ongoing dynasty, there are basically no more Scottish names again. Wow, that's weird, isn't it? So that really start. That's because so much is seen to start with Malcolm and Margaret. But not only start, so much stops that mm. that it, it completely wipes out. Any future Scottish names? So that's why some have suggested that when Malcolm's brother Donald Bain comes in, mm. that it's almost like a Gaelic reaction against. Yeah. So actually Malcolm, uh, Malcolm and Margaret's children get sent off and the Saxon exiles get sent off. Donald Bain comes in and it's like, hey, let's all be Scottish again. Yeah. But, so she, she this, although, you know, we don't know whether he's going to get the Rex Factor or not at this point, mm. She perhaps certainly should in the <laughs> yeah. cause such a sea change that has lasted to this day. Mm. Now, arguably, again, of course, this may have been exaggerated by historians. Uh, okay. Donald Bain, he may just have been removing a royal uh, a rival power base. So if he comes in, gets rid of Malcolm's sons, mm. he's also got to get rid of those Saxon exiles who owe everything mm. to Margaret. Right. So maybe it's just political rather than any kind okay. of ideology. Also, uh, Turgo has rather exaggerated the extent to which Margaret destroys the Celtic church and brings in all things Roman. She actually patronises various Scottish churches as well. So we've got the old Caldees, um, this sort of ascetic movement um, at Loch Leven that she patronises the establishment there. She restores the monastery at Iona, which had fallen into disrepair because mm. of all the Viking invasions, and uh, revives interest in the cult of St Andrew. And so hence her ferries. Hence the ferries. Mm. So actually she is doing stuff for the Scottish Church as well. It's not quite as exclusively foreign stuff as maybe is implied. Maybe she needs to do that to get the other stuff through though. Mm. Mm. Now there's also a bit of an interesting thing to consider in terms of Malcolm's raids into Northumbria Mm. and how that reflects on Malcolm and him as a ruler. Because now technically of course these aren't Scottish so this is people. a view to subjectivity? Though. Yes, but bad subjectivity. Okay. So these aren't Scottish subjects, but they are sort of subjects of an area that he's kind of... Yeah, true, he's trying over. to claim, yeah. And it's, you know, and it's deeds that Malcolm is doing. Mm. So, Simeon of Durham in 1070. Old men and women were some beheaded by swords, others struck with spears like pigs destined for food. Torn from their mother's breasts, babes were tossed high in the air and caught on the spikes of spears fixed close together on the ground. But the youths and girls and all who seemed fit for work and toil were bound and driven in front of the enemy to be made slaves and handmaids in perpetual exile. Every single bit of propaganda yeah. <laughs> forever has babies on spikes. Yeah. That was First World War as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and saying second, yeah. Now, as you say, a lot of propaganda going on there. That is a a local source. Mm. But um, in terms of the slavery, that's quite possibly true. The Normans pretty much get rid of slavery, although we do have serfdom. But the Scots probably had still been doing a little bit of that. So whenever he's going off and plundering, he's Mm. probably taking people back as well as goods and cattle and stuff like that. I think that... Overall, it's very good. We've mm. got to count Margaret's doings we in his c- And we've done that for... We haven't had this before in the Scottish series, but when we had the English series, we absolutely have been counting. Yeah. Stuff which... Good stuff which is done in their reign. It's their... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Unless it was like John and Magna Carta and he's really <laughs> <laughs> kicking <laughs> he's and screaming. So it, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's... I mean, she deserves an episode, mm. but it happens in his reign, and really, this is the first time we see 
any of this stuff happening, mm. the bad, the sort of cine side of things. Yeah. Um. It, they all did that. Like that yeah. was him trying to. Exp- that was his. I didn't give him points for doing it in battliness. Yeah. I'm not going to take points away from him for doing it in this one. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. I don't really know how to rate that anglicization, and the stability just. Yeah. On that on its own. Having looking at the previous seventeen that we've done, <laughs> yeah. was it eighteen? Mm. Um, just they—they they all such unstable rains. Yeah, be horrible. It's got to be really very big. I think it does. I think it's, this is a good score. I, I'm s- certainly not going to go below a seven. Mm. I might push for an eight. I'm going to go. I'm going to go seven and a half. All right. I'm not quite oh sure I'll why I don't quite go up to eight. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. You can stay if you like. No, but, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, seven and a half. That's mm. nice. So that gives him a fifteen for subjectivity. Mm. Good work. He married very well. Mm. And I, I said, what's he getting out of it as well? There you what's go. He getting his fifteen big points. Yeah. Longevity. So he is king from ten fifty eight to ten ninety three. Whoa! Big, o- big old reign, thirty five point six seven years. Is that the biggest yet? It's not the biggest yet. Constantine the second was there for forty-three years, oh, good but Lord. it's the second biggest after yeah. him. Uh, so that gives him a score for longevity of twelve point three seven. Mm. Whopper! And that's the incredible thing with him. We think he starts off, you know, killing Macbeth, mm. and then he's outlived. You know, obviously, Macbeth, Lulloch, Edward the Confessor, Harold the Second, William the Conqueror's entire reign. Yeah, and he's halfway through Rufus's as well. This is a huge stretch. Dynasty. Now, this one is actually quite interesting. For the first time ever, we're going to have to make a decision about his dynasty score. Now, in one sense, we don't, because he's got at least nine surviving children. Oh, boom! And that is the joint highest score for dynasty. Good grief! Which does definitely give him a score of 20 for dynasty. Crikey Moses, that's enormous! But there's an issue to consider. I haven't counted uh, his son, Edward, that was killed with him at Annick. Edward, I hate William, the yeah. Saxon. So they were both killed as a result of this uh, ambush at Annick. Why you ca- oh, because he dies. Because he dies. Yeah. However, that was when I was looking through at the start of this, and I looked through all the monarchs because I needed to know who'd got the biggest score so that we'd yeah. know what dynasty score to give. Having now studied him, the sources do now suggest that he dies from his wounds a couple of days later. Ah, oh, brilliant. So he doesn't become king. There's no suggestion he becomes king, but he does, by all accounts, live a bit more uh, definitely than his counts. dad. Now, that means that if we go up to 10 for Malcolm's sons, it doesn't affect his score, of course, because he's still got the best. Yeah. But it means everybody else will actually be slightly worse. So he's making it even better for himself. So he's actually decreasing everybody else's score wow. by a, a little bit. Oh, he's squashing them with his patiometer. Yes. He's taken 0.44 off uh, Macbeth. Or off Lollock, rather. Kaboom! And Malcolm II's score overall is 65.87, which is by some distance the best score we've had thus far for the Scots. At the risk of starting a catchphrase, (laughs) I was not expecting that. Wow. And they're quite notable, um, as well as children, four, if not five, of his sons become king. Oh, spoilers. Um, And then two of his daughters, Edith, marries Henry I of England, 
Wow. Okay, Which so when when's that? That's after. So that's in the sort of eleven hundreds ish. Yeah. So that means Malcolm the Third is the great grandfather of Henry the Second of England, Th- who is Rex, fa- Rex Factor. Spoiler: Yeah, is Rex Factor winner. Good grief! And he's his grandfather of Henry. Great grandfather. So he's the grandfather of uh, the Empress Matilda, who uh, in herself was was very amazing, impressive. Yeah. Um, and then his other daughter Mary married Eustace the Third of Boulogne, and his daughter Matilda of Boulogne marries King Stephen. Mm, oh, the other Matilda. So yeah. his two daughters are actually mean that he's ancestors of both the Stephen side of the anarchy and yeah, Matilda yeah. side. God, so if he had claimed the whole island in the confusion, yeah, imagine. Got it all um, sewn up. Queen Victoria-esque. Yeah. Of the British Isles. He's done a very good job. Superb, superb. But of course, that doesn't necessarily guarantee him the ultimate award. Does he have that certain something, that uh, lasting legacy, that star quality, that greatness that we call Rex Factor? So he's clearly got an argument to be made for Malcolm here. Th- I mean, there certainly is. There's a lot of legend material here. Yeah, it's looking very good. I'm not sure I like the character. Hmm. So I'm struggling with that, but if I put my subjective hat on the desk (laughs) and put my objective one balanced on top, I'd say he probably does deserve it. Mm. Given the form of all the um, previous kings of Scotland, Mm. he did well not to die, because they all all seemed to be involved somehow and all came cropper at at one point, and he did, through all of that chaos, Mm. cling on. Yeah. I didn't give him points for not taking advantage, but maybe, maybe that was a wise move. I mean, it was a wise. You move. know, if he'd been killed, you know, if he'd been killed off in the 1060s or even 1070s, you know, we don't have all these children, we don't have that long reign, we mm. don't have all those reforms and yeah. all that sort of stuff. All the good stuff that happens is only possible because he keeps going. It's very good, and it's se- it is largely seen as something of a milestone reign. Mm. You know, Malcolm and Margaret together is this kind of beginning of something new. Mm. It doesn't happen immediately, as we'll find out, because of mm. the brother and all that sort of stuff. But once that gets settled, it does is almost like a real start of the Middle Ages or the medieval bit. If we see the early bit as the yeah. Dark Age. Or it whatever, feels this, like a watershed. This is now properly Scotland. This is a proper Rex Factor episode in comparison to the English series. We've had stuff to talk about yeah. on every single one. I... Can I tell you where I am? Tell me where. I'm out. No, sorry, that's a, <laughs> that's a Scottish person in uh, an English TV show. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm interested in investing in Malcolm mm. uh, on the proviso that for my investment, I get to find out more about Margaret. I think I think you do have to put Margaret in there. Without Margaret, there's definitely much less sheen, much less impressive stuff going yeah. on. But I want to find out more about her. It's all part of his reign. He's got yeah. to actually do it. I think it's a yes from me. It's a yes from me as well. Malcolm III, with Margaret, has the Rex Factor. Amazing. Now, we usually clap at this point, but because I haven't got microphone stands, that would mean dropping the mic. We're holding our mics, and it's <laughs> my <laughs> wrist is sore. But so. That's my chest. That is it for Malcolm. Let us know what you think. Do you agree? Did he mm-hmm. deserve the Rex Factor? Email us, rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. Uh, message us and follow us on Twitter at RexFactorPod and like us, the page, not the friend, mm-hmm. uh, on Facebook. Yep. Get involved in the discussions there. 
And if you go on to rexfactor.wordpress.com, uh, you'll find various blogs in support of the podcast, and you can also do a very quick and simple poll. Yes, no, or maybe, does Malcolm III deserve the Rex Factor? And all the previous Scottish monarchs. And all the previous English monarchs as well. It's all there to do. Now, thank you very much, we must say, to all the people who uh, helped us buy these new microphones. They are lovely, sexy ice creams. Which, uh, hopefully, when we listen back, there will be some audio. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll oh gosh. <laughs> demand our Murray back. Um, you said you Murray. You got it on the I brain. I did say Murray. Um, thank you for uh, recent donations on PayPal, which you can do if you oh, go onto our website. You can make a one-off donation. Uh, thank you to uh, Jabal Miller, Cody Calvin, Alistair Baker, Emily Hyde uh, for your donations. Very, very welcome. Very generous yes, of you Yes, thank you. And great name there, Alistair. And you can also do crowdfunding. So if you click on the Be My Patron link on our website, you can join the Privy Council. What hallowed company you could join exactly, there. Exactly, by making a monthly donation. Um if you do $1 a month, you get a mention on the podcast. Mm-hmm. $2, you get a comment read out. Mm-hmm. $5, you get a mug once we've sorted out some branding and logos and it's stuff. It's coming. $10, we'll do a blog and a choice of your um, choice. Subject <laughs> of your choice. <laughs> and $15, we will do a special episode on something of yes. your own choice. First of which is coming soon. Yes, we are very soon uh, going to be recording William uh, Marshall, William the Marshall. Who is that for? Um, so that was for Jerry Huntley, uh-huh. I believe. Put Thank me on the Jerry. pressure there, but I think that's <laughs> the name. I will check it. Um, incredible knight. He was from all of the Angevin kings, Henry II, all the way through to John, mm. and a little bit after. Incredible knight, and uh, that's going to be great. So privy councillors get those free. Everybody else, just maybe like a dollar or a pound or something. won't yeah. be too much, but it's going to be really, really exciting. Definitely worth a listen. But you can stay with us for this series. They're always free, but these little one-off specials, yeah. a dollar or something. So... Um, we have some new privy councillors, quite a few oh. actually. So, arise to the following M. N. Elder. Sorry. Uh, these are usernames, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Names. <laughs> Vampire Red, K S T C U, <laughs> Sean Brown, Kim Fitz, Don and Sue Clark, Moose Girl, and Anto Walsh. Thank you very much. Thank you, one and all. And if you'd uh, like to help for free, yeah. Then um, a, a message is lovely. We love to hear from everybody. Yeah. Um, you can also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, very helpful. Very very helpful. Even if you don't subscribe, actually. Yeah. Because the be thing lovely. is, that pushes us up the um, the old charts. Charts. More people notice, or just tell your friends, old-fashioned yeah. way. Yeah. Easy. So that's it for Malcolm the uh, Third. We've got the special coming on William the Marshal, uh, but the next episode after that will be Donald Bain. Ah, yes, the revival. The revival. See how well that goes. Cool. Until then, it's goodbye for me. Cheerio.